Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode six. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Now this is a show about the state of the great American experiment. And that great American experiment is constantly being shaped, shifted, and shaken. From the very founding of our country, it was the activists that did the shaking. The activists pushed America forward. It was the activists that made it better from the very first colonists who refused to be ruled by a king. The original angry Americans, the OGs of angry Americans. They were the unionists who fought to keep our country together. They were the abolitionists who fought America's original sin. They were the suffragists like Sojourner Truth and Susan B. Anthony who fought for the rights of women to vote. They were the 16 million men and women who stood up to fight the Nazis and the Japanese. They were civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis. They were veterans like Bobby Muller and Ron Kovic who came home to oppose the war in Vietnam. They were Harvey Milk and the first fights at Stonewall. They were the millions who marched for women just a few years ago. They're the parents from Sandy Hook and the courageous kids from Parkland and the 9-11 first responders who right now are walking the halls of Congress for health care support. On the right, on the left, everywhere in between. Activists stood in front of muskets. They stood in front of fire hoses. They stood in front of tyranny and racism and homophobia and fascism. They stood in front of hot cameras, in front of angry mobs, and in front of piercing bullets. And they often fell. They fell standing up for what they believed in. Sacrificing themselves on the altar of America. And for the idea of what America could one day become. They were famous. They were infamous. And also, most often, they were completely unknown. They stood for themselves. They stood for countless nameless others. And they stood for you. They stood for our grandkids. They stood for the potential vision of a better future, a better America. But they're not only in our history books. They're not only in America's past. They're alive now, fighting, teaching, organizing, leading. They're all around us. And they're multiplying. The election of Donald Trump has inspired and created an unprecedented explosion of activism and activists in America. People who feel compelled to come off the sidelines, out of the shadows, and step into the arena. We're living in a time that's truly a renaissance of American activism. And it extends globally. From the Arab Spring in 2010, to the Chinese dissidents, to the people taken to the streets of Venezuela right now. Activism has never been more vibrant, more interconnected, more important, more accessible. Anyone with an internet connection can now be a powerful activist. The power has shifted. And Joe Strummer said it, the future is unwritten. And that future is being written by activists all around us. And in this show, I want to bring them to you. The activists whose names you might not know, but you should. Activists who make your world a better place. Activists who are standing up, breaking it down, and laying it on the line. Activists like today's guest, Agent Poo. Every guest I have on this show will be an iconic 
important, inspiring American. Someone who defines our country and someone who will define its future. Agent Pooh is defining the future of America. And she's representing millions of people who care for its pasts. She's one of the single most powerful, most important voices in our country. And today, you'll hear from her. Uncensored, uncut, uninterrupted, in a way you only can in a podcast. Agent Pooh has been named to the Time Magazine 100 Most Influential People in the World list. She's strong. She's strategic. She's effective. She's righteous. And she's wise. So wise. And she's just getting started. In the decades to come, Agent Pooh will shape what the future of America looks like. And I want you to remember that maybe you heard her here on this show first. She fights for people who can't fight for themselves. She's the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance and the co-director of Caring Across Generations. She's an award-winning organizer, thought leader, social innovator, and a leading voice in the future of work and family care solutions. She fights for our mothers and our grandmothers and the people who care for our mothers and our grandmothers and our grandfathers. She fights for people who one day might care for you. Agent is a 2014 MacArthur Genius Fellow. She's been an influential voice in the Me Too movement, and she even walked the red carpet at the Oscars with Meryl Streep. She's been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, Time, and CNN, and she's the author of The Age of Dignity, Preparing for the Elder Boom in a Changing America. It's the definitive book on the issue. And this month, she launched something even bigger, something that will represent a new group that's also pretty damn important. All women in America. Yeah, all women in America. The same women that are now the majority of our population in this country. She created a new organization called The Supermajority, and they are not messing around. And since this weekend is Mother's Day in America, I think it's the perfect conversation to have. And like us all, Agent's angry, and with damn good reason. And she's channeling that anger into transformative change. And she's also happy. She has a contagious light and a warmth that touches everyone around her. And she's also pretty damn cool. An awesome person to get a drink with or see a show with. She's a true activist. And an activist writing the future of America. That's a future that's also being written by you. If you're involved in your community school board. If you're asking tough questions of your local candidates. If you're educating your racist uncle at Thanksgiving or arguing with some dude on Facebook for a position you believe in, well, then you're an activist. Just by listening to this show on some level, you're an activist. In another time or in another country, just listening to a podcast like this could get you killed. Well, I sure hope it doesn't. Instead, I hope it brings you to four things I hope you get from every episode of Angry Americans. Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. The four eyes. And I got it coming for you again in this episode. I've also got another rant about an issue that's got me angry and I know will have you angry too. And a very important action at the end. One specific to Mother's Day. That'll give you a better way to thank your mom than just sending flowers. Because if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And in this episode, attention will be paid. So get out your attention checkbook. Strap in, sit back, and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Angry Americans. Episode 6. 
Okay, here's what I'm angry about right now. It's an issue that has me angry and has other people really angry. It has to do with measles. Yeah, measles. Now, unless you've been living in Westeros for the last few weeks or you've been locked in a very deep hole, binging episode of Billions, you probably are tracking on this on some level. And you're probably a bit terrified. Understandably. Now, there is officially a measles outbreak defined as three or more cases ongoing in the following jurisdictions. Rockland County in New York State, New York City, Michigan, New Jersey, and in Butte County, L.A. County, Sacramento County, Sacramento County, all in California, in Georgia, and Maryland. That's where there's officially a measles outbreak right now. Now, coincidentally, there's not a red state on there. So just give us some time, and I'm sure Tucker Carlson and the idiots from Fox and Friends will find a way to blame this on Barack Obama or rap music. But look, there are no blue states or red states in this fight. Every state is purple. Every state should be united against this common enemy. Whether you voted for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Jill Stein or Gary Johnson or if you wrote in Mickey Mouse, everyone should be united. Like our own less attractive, less 3D national version of the Avengers working together. If you live in one of those places I mentioned or the 22 other states and counting where measles have been identified, you're in a place where this wall-to-wall measles coverage might single-handedly save local news stations. Now, local news stations haven't had this kind of ratings since before the internet existed. It's a world of plenty for all the Ron Burgundies all across America who are tired of doing stories about cats stuck in the tree or a local veteran returning home and being reunited with his puppy. The good news? Local news stations finally have something to scare the shit out of old people who still watch local news with, other than an angry horde of killer South American rapists or MS-13 killers or rappers. That's the good news. The bad news? The threat's real. And like most of the issues I cover on this show that should have you angry, it's not just limited to the U.S. Like the damn electric scooters we covered at length in the last episode, measles is spreading worldwide. According to a new report from the World Health Organization, more than 34,000 Europeans were infected just the first two months of 2019. Most of them were in the Ukraine, but it's hit people in 42 countries in all. Now, public bathrooms and scooters are a public health challenge, both on different levels. But measles? This shit is from the movies. Like, it's, it's no joke. You've probably seen the headlines. If you have small children, you've probably been Googling the shit out of it talking to parents at the playground if you haven't stopped going to the playground already and taking nervous calls from family members over the age of 60 but why am i so angry well i'm angry because some people are actually making it worse they are who i'm angry at the pro measles people yes they're actually pro measles people it's like a group of people were sitting around we're like hey What's something we can get behind that nearly everyone in the world will hate? What's the single worst public policy position that we can take? Hmm. Let's think about it. Howard Schultz for president? Nope. Nope. Some people who work for him still support that. Hmm. How about the devil? The devil? No. There are some folks who actually dig the devil. The satanics are a small but significant voting block. And there's always some weird goth kid who's into that shit for shock value. Still too popular. Hmm. ISIS. ISIS. Nope. Too popular. 
ISIS chops people's heads off, but some folks, although a small number, still support them and dig the black outfits. So it's like they were sitting around asking, what's an issue we can support in public uh, and on television that's actually less popular than the devil, Howard Schultz, and ISIS combined? I got it. Measles. Yes, measles. Yes, we're going to support measles. Now, look, I don't want to stoke fear. I want to give you information. So if your fingers aren't already bleeding from Googling the hell out of this, there's some top lines from the Red Cross. You should go to their website. But the top four things parents should know about measles. Number one, they're serious. And some of the more common measles symptoms, fever, rash, runny nose, red eyes, Many of the same symptoms you feel when your cable box starts acting funny a few minutes before 9 p.m. when Game of Thrones is about to come on. Yeah. But seriously, measles is very contagious. Uh, your, your child still can get measles in the U.S., but you have the power to protect your child against measles with a safe and effective vaccine. So the vaccine provides protection against all strains of measles. Here's the number one thing you need to know about measles. If you don't want to vaccinate your kid... You're a shitty parent. And you're a shitty American. You're reckless. You're selfish. You don't care about others. You violated our social compact, like Kanye does every day. But it's not just about your kid. It's about mine and every other kid. So the number one thing you should know about measles, if you don't take them seriously, you should just not have kids. Go get a hermit crab. Don't multiply. The world does not need more of you. You're not a freedom fighter. You're not righteous. You're not a champion of the First Amendment. You're the first person who should get eaten by a monster in a horror movie. You're the slowest swimmer in that race called evolution. Now, Trump has done some pretty selfish shit over the last few years, but even he is encouraging people to get vaccinated. Now, health officials have placed the blame on a concerted anti-vaccination campaign. So apparently in this pro-measles group, there are parents who deliberately spread the virus at so-called measles parties, gathering uninfected kids with infected kids in order to get them to contract the disease. So the kids play in close proximity and they share sippy cups. That's the idea around a measles party. Now, I've been to some pretty shitty parties in my life, but I can't think of one worse than that. And kids' parties at bowling alleys or a bouncy castle generally make me want to punch myself in the face sometimes, but measles, a measles party, that's a whole nother level. Now, the situation has actually gotten so bad that New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, famed liberal and worst mayor in my lifetime, actually did something I support. Yes, even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? No, it's not his run for president. That's even more ridiculous than Howard Schultz running, no. De Blasio declared a public health emergency over measles and an outbreak in Brooklyn, and he's mandated vaccinations in Williamsburg zip codes. And he said he would issue violations and possibly fines of $1,000 for those who did not comply. Yes, fine him, De Blasio. Do it. Go for it. I'm all in on that. Now, Germany's health minister wants to fine parents $3,000 if they don't vaccinate their children against measles. So, What's the right number here? 3,000, 1,000. How the hell do they decide on that number anyway? In New York, some parking tickets are almost 1,000 bucks. Shit, I've had speeding tickets that almost cost me that much. But that's a story for another time. Now, the mayor's gotten mixed reaction from some and some in the Orthodox community. 
uh, the press spoke to a guy named Aaron Braver, and he said, quote, it's true that a lot of people have measles, and measles are not a very good thing. But the vaccine is also not a very good thing. That's what Aaron Braver, a a Williamsburg resident, had to say. You know it's not a good thing, Aaron? You having kids. For real. Like any kids. You need a license to drive in America. There are background checks on guns in many places. And some in Washington want people to take a test so they can vote. But this guy gets to have 19 kids without any kind of test? Like, that's just wrong. Now, in my view, pro-measles people, like Aaron, they fall into two very clear camps. The selfish and the ignorant. Either you're incredibly selfish or you're incredibly ignorant. These people put the lives of their fellow Americans in danger. You're helping the Russians. You're helping the terrorists. And in my view, you hate America. If you're that selfish or that ignorant, I have no time for you. I'm not interested in your opinion. I don't care about your twisted religious views because no God I've ever heard of is okay with killing babies because that's what you're okay with if you don't get your kids the vaccine. If you're one of those pro-measles people, you're like a selfish public health car bomb just rolling around America waiting to kill innocent people. And I think you should be fined into oblivion. $1,000 is not enough. I don't think that scares people. Measles scares the hell out of me, rightfully so. And $1,000 is a lot of money, but it doesn't really scare me. $10,000, that's a lot more. That's pretty scary to most people. How about $50,000? How about $100,000? Maybe these pro-measles people would reconsider and walk their damn kids down to the doctor to get a shot if they knew they had to give up the rest of their financial future forever. And while you're at it, take away their cell phones, take away their Netflix and their Amazon accounts, send them to Guantanamo. Send them to Westworld with Bernard. Send them to the Mexican border instead of our troops who have plenty of other crap to do instead of that. Look, I don't care where they go, but keep them away from me and my newborn and our library and our Chuck E. Cheese. Shit's already messed up enough in America. Like, we're too scared to send our kids to school. Don't make our lives harder by turning every Chuck E. Cheese into Elliot's house from the E.T. movie. Don't ruin public places for everyone who understands science and respects the rules and just wants to enjoy our sandboxes and playgrounds and Mother's Day brunches without worrying about contracting a deadly disease. Let's go back to the simple days of just being terrified about war with North Korea and Iran or a second term for Donald Trump. Help us sleep better at night. Just get your kids a damn shot. There are plenty of electric scooters all across America to help you get there. But please, just get your kids a damn shot and go find another windmill to charge because nobody wants Chuck E. Cheese getting measles and coming back as a White Walker. Do it for America. Do it for your kids. Do it for my kids. Do it for Chuck E. Cheese. So that's what I'm mad about this week. The pro-measles people. And I think with good reason. This is an issue that's got me angry and I think should have everyone angry. What do you think? I know you have an opinion about this, so go to the Angry Americans Facebook page and sound off or use the hashtag Angry Americans. Because if you're not angry about this, you're really not paying attention. Hiring can be really hard. I'm starting a business, Righteous Media, and I'm hiring people. I've hired people in the past and it can be really, really tough, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. 
a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Angry Americans. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. They got powerful matching technology. So ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. And as applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Angry Americans. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Angry Americans. If you can't spell, it's A-N-G-R-Y-A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-S. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Angry Americans. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. So I am absolutely humbled and privileged and excited to have on Angry Americans for this episode, a person that I admire, um, that I respect, and that I think more than almost anybody I know is, is an important leader in America who knows how to get shit done. Um, wow. Yeah. High praise yes. coming from you. But I mean it. I mean it. So I'm, I'm, we're very lucky to have Agent Poo with us for uh, this episode. And when I started this show, I wanted to talk to Americans who were iconic, important, uh, influential people who are shaping what it means to be American and the future of our country. And when I thought about creating the show, you were at the top of my list. And I really had to get you in a chair and, and give you space to talk to. So first off, thank you for coming to New York and thank you for doing this interview. Well, thanks for having me. And I have to say, I'll never forget the first meeting I had with you because you're actually one of my heroes who um, somebody, one of our mentors, right, Swanee said, you really should go see Paul, all the challenges that you're facing as a leader he's been through in spades. Mm. And sitting down with you was just like immediate relief and also so much helpful guidance and wisdom so i appreciate you of and course. thank you for having me thank you thank you all right so we, we have a drink this episode we're at the manhattan uh, the classic car club manhattan again so you'll hear noise at times because they're fixing cars and uh doing other things but it's uh it's it's a setting that i think speaks to uh a bit of the attitude of the show um uh -huh. but you're here with us we, we i asked you what you wanted to drink and we settled on something called a heat which is like a fiery margarita basically so, yeah and tequila is my liquor of choice, so it's perfect. It's a lot more spicy than <laughs> I thought it would be, um, but I'm loving it. Well, so it's I great. felt like part of what I wanted to do with this show is have real conversations. And I feel like real political conversations, especially in America, often happen without ties. Without, right. without cameras, we've got video now, but that's for folks on YouTube and other places that have a harder time finding podcasts. And sometimes it happens with a drink, you know? And a lot of times a, a it happens, times with, happens a with a drink. This is my first conversation in a car club, to be okay. clear, okay. but definitely not my first over a drink. All right. <laughs> Excellent. So I want to, for people who don't know you, 
They should, right? And I'll, I have a longer intro in the beginning of the show where I'm going to lay out your biography. But you're the first genius we've had on the show. Oh. Like you're, you're a certified genius, <laughs> MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, um, and you've been a dynamo of activism. Um, you know, for workers' rights now for uh, the supermajority. We'll get to that later, and, and women's rights. But you are an activist, like at your core, mm-hmm. and and part of what I want to do with this show is celebrate the activists. And, and the folks that maybe maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago would have gone into politics or would have gone a different route. But yeah. I wanted to start, Agent, and ask you, you know, what does it mean to you to be an activist, and especially at this moment in time in yeah. America? Yeah. Well, to me, I mean, I've, I've always been an optimist. My grandmother raised me, and she is an optimist in every cell in her body. And, um, and so I was raised to really believe in what's possible Mm -hmm. and to believe in the ability of people to make positive change happen in their own lives first and foremost, but then in their families and their communities and in the world around them. And right now, I think we are in one of the biggest political crises of generations. And it's an opportunity for everyday Americans to step forward and and seize the moment and say, what can I do, right, to take back the country, to make it the country we know is possible and we know we deserve, and whether that's a simple act of going to vote or advocating for an issue that you care about, I know through the last 20 years that change is totally possible, and if enough of us take that kind of initiative, we can change the course of the country. So, can you talk about... um who you represent, you know, you're, you're, you're an organizer. And I think when Barack Obama ran for president, people got a better understanding of what that means. And sometimes even a a stereotype of what that means. Right. I think the the right tried to dismiss him at times saying, Oh, he's just an organizer, but at his core, you know, he he had this, this skill set and this ability and this experience to bring people together and forward toward change. Right. And that's what I did in the veteran space you've done in your space in this kind of super friends network that we have right. right? of activists and organizers. But can you break it down, especially maybe for somebody who's young and trying to figure out what it means to be an organizer? What does it mean to you? To me, organizing is really simple. It's about believing in the power of everyday people to come together around common goals Mm. and to really achieve those goals together. It's about what we can't necessarily do alone, but what we can absolutely achieve together. It's about putting more power in the hands of everyday people in more everyday people's hands. Um, and, and it's about speaking truth to power and to a lot of the pain and suffering that's happening in communities around the country. So the Domestic, Domestic Workers Alliance is the group you've led now for a while, right? Yeah. Can you talk about the people that you represent? Yeah. So I work with this workforce that um, is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. It's the millions of women who work in our homes, doing caregiving and cleaning as nannies, as home care workers or home attendants, um, as house cleaners. And it's the work that makes everything else possible, right? Because it makes it possible for you and I to go to work and do whatever we're doing in the world, knowing that the most precious aspects of our lives are actually in good hands. Mm. So when I think about the incredible, it's like powering everything. It's like the infrastructure underneath everything else in the economy. And yet it's so undervalued and invisible. 
And so my work has really been about shining a light on this workforce, how important it is, so that we can make these jobs really good jobs that you can take pride in and support your family on, and so that we have a greater awareness about how interdependent we are as human beings, especially when it comes to caring for our families. Can you paint the picture, Agent? Who, what do these people look like? What's the gender, racial, geographic breakdown of yeah. what is a movement, right? Like you, you, you took, you're largely credited for creating a movement, right? Bringing these people together who had, you know, disparate voices, but now are united in, in policy recommendations and political power and grassroots change. But who are they? Paint the picture for us of the, the demographics of the people that you work with. It's women like Daniela Contreras, who is a nanny here in New York City. She's Latina and an immigrant, a mother of two, single mother of two, and has worked doing caregiving and cleaning for probably 15 years or so, and is working incredibly hard to make sure that her kids have a better life and have all the opportunity that they deserve. And she's faced incredible hardships in doing that. I mean, she's had wonderful employers that she's worked with for many years, and she's also dealt with sexual harassment, non-payment of wages, getting fired for wearing the wrong, right? So mm -hmm. it's just, it's almost like it's all these women, right? More than 90% women yeah. doing this work, um, disproportionately women of color and immigrant women doing this work who are isolated. There's no, if you think about it, you could go into any neighborhood and not know which homes are also workplaces, right? right. There's not like, there's a sign or a list or a registry anywhere. So the vulnerability of being behind closed doors, mm. it's almost like the Wild West where you never really know what you're going to get. Mm. You might have a wonderful employer or you could have the total other end of the spectrum and there's very little mediating that relationship. And how is it, I mean, some of it may seem obvious, but how has it changed since Trump became president? How has the environment changed and your work changed in the last couple of years since he became president? Well, I think the climate of fear, particularly for immigrants and for women, has just gone through the roof. I think people are living in a constant state of wondering what's going to happen next and is their family safe? I mean, we're coming up this week is the anniversary of the zero tolerance policy that separated children from their parents. Right at the border and I think all of our members are watching all of these attacks on families, on children, on moms, and just wondering what will happen next. Right, right. And so I ask every guest a couple of questions. I'm gonna come back to the car question, but um, if you had to say, you know, what's one thing that, that makes you angry? So what, what makes Agent Poo angry right now? I would say certainly these attacks that are happening on families, on mothers who are doing, I mean, it's Mother's Day coming up. And right. if you think, I've met so many women at the border as we've been doing our advocacy and their stories are the story of every mother who would do anything in their power to bring their children to safety and to offer their children basic safety and basic opportunity. And for that act of doing what all mothers do, they've had to deal with 
um, incredible danger, separation from their children, imprisonment, um, and and it's just it's really heartbreaking. It, it, it infuriates me because it's not who we are as a country. Yeah, that's part of why I was excited to have you on the show because I think you cut your work cuts to the values of our nation, right? Like what we value, how right. we treat people, how we empower people or don't, right? Like right. who we choose to give voice to or not. So when when caregivers are in a tough spot, right? Where do they go? Like, do they, do they literally text you in the middle of the night? I'm sure it happens, right? Like all of us who work in different movement spaces, get those phone calls, get yeah. those texts, right? When people need help, yeah. do they come to you directly and where else can they or do they go for help? Well, the beautiful thing about being a part of a movement is that there are dozens of organizations all over the country that are serving women at the grassroots level. So there's organizations and communities. And when there isn't, they can always reach out to us. We have a hotline that people can contact. And we are now able to use technology and social media to scale our reach. So hundreds of thousands of people who might have taken years to find us can actually find us really quickly. And so, um, so yes, I get text messages, yeah. but our whole team and our whole movement is there ready to serve and support women who are doing this work. And if women doing this work or people doing this work are in need of help, they can come to your organization for help, yep. right? And how can they, how can they reach you guys? At domesticworkers.org or um, we actually have a text system that people can sign Great. up for to get regular updates. And we actually have a new benefits program that really? is like, it's a big breakthrough. It's a technology platform that allows for domestic workers to get access to benefits for the very first time. Really? Health benefits? Uh Disability, uh -huh. life insurance, accident insurance, paid time off, and wow. critical injury insurance. Is it just a, is it a group plan basically that they can all come in on because they have the numbers, or how does that work from like an execution standpoint? Basically, you go to the website yeah. myalia.org. Alia is spelled A-L-I-A, okay. and um, and you can search to see if your house cleaner is already signed up by typing in her cell phone number. And if she's already signed up, then you can just sign up to provide a recurring contribution of $5 per cleaning. It's really hmm. simple. It's the cost of a latte. Wow. And she can accrue those contributions into her benefit account. And then she can decide what benefit she wants to apply that to. Yeah. It's really easy. It's so I want to go a bit deeper on this because I feel like I feel like it's a story that in America doesn't get coverage unless a politician screws it up, right? Like somebody didn't pay their nanny properly or someone was undocumented and it was found out later, right? Right. I mean, there is, 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 is this changing, right? Like Trump has recently, you know, folks working at Mar-a-Lago, you know, maybe were, were, were of, of questionable status, but, you know, what, what do you think about that, right? Like when the popular culture understanding of this, yeah. right? It, it seems like something that people only think of when it bites them, when they're running for office or something like that, right? Right. Well, it's biting more people in more ways yeah. every day because so many of us need care. And now the baby boom generation is aging, right? 10,000 people turn 70 every single day, wow. every eight seconds. Really? Uh, yeah. And because people are living longer, because of advances in healthcare and technology, we're about to have the largest older population we've ever had. So we need more care than ever before. 
and at a time when we have less of it because women who we used to count on to stay home and take care of family members are now out in the workforce working. We actually need a strong professional care workforce to support our parents like my grandmother has 24-hour care Mm -hmm. because she couldn't live without it. And so more and more of us are in need of that kind of support and of a workforce. And so more people are starting to think about, well, how do I find good care? And how do I know this is the right person? Do they have the training? And how do I afford it? This Mm -hmm. is becoming an issue for more and more people, Mm -hmm. which to us is a huge opportunity to change the culture and say, these are professionals. These are people who are doing a job and we need them. They're so valuable to us. I mean, what could be more important than the person who makes sure that your grandmother lives with dignity, Right. you know? Right, right. And so how do this moment where we're all kind of feeling the pain around care is yeah. actually a moment where we can really invest in it in a different way. So I want to go deeper on, you mentioned your, your grandmother, but your, your leadership. I mean, your leadership, I think, has finally been recognized in the last few years. We talked about the MacArthur Grant. You were a part of the Time 100 a few years ago. Um, I saw you at the Oscars with Glenn Close, I think, right? Meryl Streep. Sorry, Meryl Streep. Okay, (laughs) Meryl Streep. But, but, you know, it's exciting to see your voice being elevated. But go back to where it started. You know, where where did it start for you? And I'm going to ask you, of course, what was your first car? Ah, okay. Um, well, I think for me, it started with being raised by really strong women like my grandmother and my mother. And just as a kid, I mean, I, they were my superheroes. Like, I just thought they could do anything. And they should definitely be in charge of everything because they were everything. And growing up, it was just really striking to me how women weren't in charge of everything, in fact, and were actually dealing with a lot of inequalities in every aspect of life, whether it's at work, right, getting paid less for the same work that men do, or doing all the caregiving work and never being recognized or supported to do that. or And that just got me interested in women's equality and how we create a future in this country where women can realize their full potential and um, and really be valued equally to men. And this huge part of our economy that is dominated by women, which is the care economy, right? Valuing that and recognizing that seems like it's a huge part of that puzzle. So that's where I've kind of dug in for the last 20 years I also had a really personal experience with my grandfather who ended up in a nursing home against his wishes. He wanted to stay home to the very end and he lost his vision and we couldn't take care of him at home or find the right care. He ended up in a nursing home where he had to share a room with seven other people and it was incredibly miserable. And when I visited him there, he was just a shadow of himself. Mm -hmm. He was scared. He was um, hadn't eaten for days and just clearly not himself. And it was so undignified and painful for mm-hmm. me to see him mm-hmm. that way. And I guess it just, it really underscored for me, hit home in such a personal way that the people who love and care for us our whole lives, they deserve a dignified golden age, right? Mm, yeah, they yeah. deserve the care and the love and the support that they gave us. And why wouldn't we do everything in our power to, to deliver on that? Mm. And so for folks who are, um, 
who are wondering, what do I do with my mother or my father or my grandfather? I, I went through this with my grandmother, similarly ended up in a nursing home. I couldn't stand it. You know, she didn't like it. It's this terrible situation exactly. where it just becomes too much. Yep. And it seems like the options are limited, especially if you don't have money. Yep. So if, if someone is listening either for themselves or for their families and they're contemplating this yep. now or five years from now, you, you're kind of the expert on this nationally. You wrote a book about it. I yep. mean, yep. What, what, what advice do you give them? How do you, what guidance do you give them? And I'm going to come back to the car question, but, <laughs> but, 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 but what advice do you give for that person who wants to give dignity? And I think dignity is such a powerful word, it really you know, is. You, and, and it's, there's a loss of dignity in many ways in this country right now, I think. That's right. A kind of a disposability. That's right. And this, this era where especially um, the World War II generation that kind of built this this country is now aging or already gone. But, you know, uh, again, what, 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 what advice do you give that person who's listening right now going, what the heck do I do? I, first and foremost, first and foremost, I would tell them to have a plan. And some people come to this moment when it's a little late, right, when they're in a crisis. But every single person should have a plan in their family around what they want to do when it comes to care and have a collective conversation about that. What will it look like? How, what does it look like to us as a family to have the care that we know we want? Right? And how do we prepare for that? Just start the conversation. The other thing is to know that you're not alone. This has culturally been seen as kind of a personal, individual responsibility, but it's really an urgent social issue in need of a collective solution. There's no way in a country where more than 70% of the people are earning less than $50,000 $50, per year that we can pay for care at the current um, cost. The average cost of a private room in a nursing home is almost $100,000 per year. So the numbers just don't add up. Right. We need a better solution. So the third thing I would say to people is let any candidate for office that's trying to get your vote know that you want a solution to make care, good care, good care choices affordable and acceptable and accessible. Mm. I'm dying to come back to the candidates because you have a lot of influence. Um, you've been, your name has been mentioned as a possible secretary of labor candidate. If there's a democratic president. Oh, really? Yes, That's new absolutely. to me. Yes, it is. And I think as well it should be, but I do, I do to get to know you. What was your first car agent? A blue Mazda 626. Really? Yes. Wow. I inherited it from my parents and it wasn't ever really my car, but I drove it around okay. during was in it high stick school. shift or automatic? Automatic. And I don't know how to drive a stick <laughs> shift, but I really want to know because it seems so powerful. <laughs> we could we you can know? hook, we can hook it up. I need you to teach me how to drive a All stick right, shift. We're at the car club. We can figure it out. <laughs> what, do you remember what color the interior was? Oh, I think it was like uh, also blue, blue with like darker blue speckles. And where did you get the car from? My parents lent it to me. It was always their car until I lost it. Uh, yeah. I think you I lost, lost it? it. Yeah. I think I parked it somewhere it during a party like and it got stolen. Really? Yeah. It just disappeared. In high school. So, so agents Mazda six, two, six is somewhere out there yes. and we can put it out in the Twitter sphere. Maybe someone can find <laughs> that car. This was a long time ago. Yeah. I must have been some party. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, 
I want to go to the, the, the candidates. You have a lot of influence. And, and one of the things I want to get into is you just launched a very powerful new project um, with Alicia Garza, who mm -hmm. founded one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. and Cecile Richards, who had Planned Parenthood for a long time. You have this, this triad, the three of you. You're like the Avengers coming together. <laughs> These very powerful, impactful women who've come together to create something called Supermajority, right? Yeah. Supermajority. Can, can you talk about what that is? It is Mother's Day coming up, and I think it's uh, you know perfect timing to understand understand what this thing is that you've created and why you think it's so important. Yep. It's like this Voltron where all these amazing women organizers I was going to go with the Voltron to reference, so I'm glad you brought it up. That's great. Okay. Have come together to form this new home for women's activism in this country. Um, and it's not just Alicia, Cecile, and I. There's dozens of women organizers who are behind the scenes have been building this. And the stories, I mean, we basically were watching all of this activism and energy among women, whether it was marching or voting or running for office, right? We have unprecedented numbers of women in Congress right now. And just seeing how much energy women had to organize and take back the country. And so we went actually around the country. We spent the last year listening to women from Ohio to Alabama to Florida. Um, and everywhere we went, across communities, across race, generation, rural, urban, suburban, what we heard was women want to do more mm. and they want to be connected and they want to work on the issues that they care about. They don't want to just resist. They actually want to solve the problems mm. that they've been dealing with in their communities for far too long. And so what we're going to be doing is trying to train up 2 million new women organizers wow. around the country so we can be the biggest, most massive Voltron you've ever seen yeah. in this country to essentially transform the country. Amazing. Now, is that, are you going to endorse and support candidates specifically? You know, it's early days still, yeah. and we're focused on organizing at the moment. Yeah. And so this summer, we're going to be going around talking to women about their priorities. So we have a really clear agenda to engage candidates around, mm. and we're, it's almost like a new deal for women. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so once we have that agenda, we'll be expecting all the candidates to respond to those priorities. And part of it is that women's issues have been treated like side issues or right. special interest right. issues right. when when we're more than half the, we're the majority right, right? right. the majority right. of the electorate the majority of the economy and and so it's just it's time that those priorities are seen as national priorities and that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna force so i, I thought about this conversation and i wanted to ask you this question because a lot of our audience is independent or unaffiliated and kind of fed up with both parties the three of you come from the left do you, do you envision this as, a, as an organization that will be diverse politically will you bring in republicans and independents and you know a related question is this is this a new political party I mean, this could be, if you're able to do what you set out to do, this could be essentially a powerful third party that could even transcend, you know, the, the kind of standard bifurcation of the, of the political system. Well, we're certainly serious about power. And I think what we have also found in our conversations with women around the country is that 
women's values and their priorities are actually transpartisan. These questions of how we're going to take care of our children, how we're going to take care of our aging parents and our grandparents, these are questions that everyone is grappling with. And wanting solutions to those problems is a human American question. This is about the future of our families. And so I actually think that women of all walks of life will find a home in supermajority because we're serious about solving those problems and about values that we believe are majoritarian values in this country. Yeah, that, that's, that's the powerful kind of connective tissue that I see. And with the three of you together, I mean, the Voltron reference is perfect. Like I was thinking <laughs> the same thing when I, when I saw it, but this also means the candidates will come to you. And I'm hoping that candidates have already been reaching out to you um, and asking, you know, your opinion and your recommendations. I mean, what do you think of the landscape when you, for the people you represent, which is now spanned so far beyond domestic workers? Now it's, you know, the majority of America that you're now a voice for. You're you're yeah. you're you're building this power. What do you think of the landscape? You know, I think that there's a lot of ta talented candidates in the race. I think it's still really early days, and I know that I am waiting and listening for all the candidates to address these priorities as top national priorities that they're going to be focused on. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm in the same boat with lots of people who are kind of waiting and listening and wanting to be won over, really. Mm. Um, and I also am just really proud of the women who've entered the race. I think that there's a really talented crew of women who have thrown their hats in. And, you know, there's a whole conversation in the political media about can a woman win and right. you know all this and it's like it's amazing to me because most of the women who've entered the race I believe have never lost an election mm. <laughs> like they're winners yeah. actually yeah. Yeah. and it just kind of exposes um, I think some of our biases in the media and in the way that we talk about politics so Adrian what happens if it's not a female candidate right like there, there's this tearing happening now within the Democratic Party, especially around what seems to be the, the rise of Joe Biden, right? Or the, the, the inevitability on some levels, some might say, of, of Joe Biden, but he's, he's ahead in the polls. Um, you know, he's been trying to reconcile his history and explain his history. But what happens if it's Joe Biden? What happens to a group like supermajority, you know, assuming it's, it's Joe Biden? What, what then? Is, is the supermajority, you know, only satisfied if it is a woman? And if it's not, what happens? You know, I think supermajority is going to be really clear that any candidate for office can be a champion of women's equality. And we're going to be watching for that to happen. And I think it's not just at the top of the ticket. It's up and down the ticket. In 21st century America, yeah. we want leaders who actually represent the whole of this country. And women are the majority of that whole. And so... I think that's that's what we're going to be pushing for. If um, every time we 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 do an interview, uh, I know there are folks listening who may be having you know a hard day, a hard month, yeah. a hard year. You you live in that every day, and and you go kind of uptown and downtown. You're deep in, in the grassroots, and then you're at the Oscars or the White House, right? But but you have a powerful ability to speak to those people. So also your example, I think, is incredibly powerful. How far you've come, how you've risen as a leader, and have done it with such uh, focus and such humility and such grace, but just a sense of power. Like part of why I was so excited to have you on the week before Mother's Day is because you are, 
you know, one of the most powerful women that I know. I really, I really think so. And so if you're talking, if someone's listening right now and they're in their car or they're on their lunch break, or maybe, you know, they're working two jobs, what, what do you, what's your message to them? I want to give people inspiration, but your personal experience, if you said to them, Hey, you know, this is what I want you to know. What do you want them to know? That we, in some ways, even though it feels really hard, this moment in American politics, what we've been born into or what we're experiencing at the moment, it feels really hard. And actually, there's this metaphor that we use a lot in our organization called the sunstorm. I don't know if you've ever no, experienced it. Please, yeah, please. it's This is a good part about podcasts. We have no commercials, so you can, <laughs> you can take your time and explain it. That's part of why I wanted to talk to you, too, because I always see you getting chopped up in an interview. Yeah. You know, you're on CNN, and I've seen you on panels, and you and I have had conversations. But yeah. I want you to be able to expand on the big ideas yeah. that you don't have time to do in other formats. So please, share that if you don't mind. Well, so a sunstorm is a weather pattern that's common to parts of the Midwest and the Southeast where you have torrential rain, sometimes even hail, but the sun is still shining through really brightly and it almost feels like a miracle. It feels like the heavens are opening up in this way. And I believe that what we're experiencing in this country is a political sunstorm mm. where it's torrential rain and it's crazy out here. And... There's incredible beauty in the way that people are rising up and mm. getting involved and getting engaged and and asserting their commitment and their love for American democracy. Like all the people who you see showing up and speaking out are patriots yeah. and they are the sun that is shining through this storm and and if you even if you feel alone in the way that you're you're showing up and and stepping up in this moment you aren't it's like in every community all over the country there's so many of us who are not going to let this democracy die mm. can you talk a bit about what patriotism is to you cuz part of what i think we have to do with this show is kind of reclaim it i think yep. especially the this president has kind of hijacked it a bit and yeah. and cannibalized it and twisted it into something very different. And so I think it's up to leaders like you to redefine, especially for the next generation, what patriotism means. So what, what does it mean to you? And, and talk about your view of this country, if you can. Yeah. To me, patriotism is a deep love for the people of this country and the dream of liberty, justice for all. Right. Mm. And, I think that it is um, a dream that every generation of our, our mutual friend Van Jones um, often talks about the true patriots as the people who each generation step forward to bridge the distance mm. between the American reality and the American dream. Right. And that looks a little different for every generation. But to me, this is the most amazing experiment in democracy in the world, if you think about it. It's like, um, and my friend Heather McGee, who used to run Demos, often talks about how it's like, there's nothing else like America in the world in that we had first, we had Native Americans, right? Our first nations here. And then we had migrants from Europe. And then we had people who were brought here as part of the transatlantic slave trade. And then generation by generation, migrants from every country, every religion, every culture all over the world in waves. And then you tell us we're one. Right. Right? It's right. a profound 
proposition and so powerful, so beautiful. And the fact that we are in a struggle always for the beauty of that multiplicity, that pluralist identity is, I think, what makes us so great and why I fight for this country every single day. I want to just stop right there. That's so powerful. I mean, it's like, that's like a mic drop moment, but it brings me to another question, which is you are an activist. You are a, what we call a social movement leader, right? A social entrepreneur. Um, You and I have met in these different social movement circles and, you know, the Ashoka network with with Bill Drayden kind of, kind of coined this term social entrepreneur, but would you make the leap and go into politics yourself? And I'm sure people ask you all the time. They ask Van, they ask me, they ask others. So when you think about it, you know, what, would you run? And, and if not, why not? Um, you know, I never rule anything out, but I feel like I'm in politics already, you, are, you know, yeah. and I love my role in it, which is about creating the Voltrons yeah. and bringing women together and helping people find the common thread. Like I love working on this issue of care so much because it is one of these issues that's so unifying. Every single one of us has somebody that we love who we're worried about right. how we're going to take care of them. Right. And it like it brings us together and there's power and beauty and grace in that. And that's the thing that I geek out on. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, the, the thought of kind of hitting a campaign trail and being able to talk about that is great, but yeah. then I can actually talk about that yeah. all the time. But on a very, and on a very basic <laughs> level, you're more powerful where you are. Like you're very, you're very subtle. You're, you're like, you know, uh, you know, quiet, but deadly. You're just, you, 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 you really, I mean, from a political standpoint, you're extremely effective and, and, and in many ways you're more effective than most members of Congress. Right. And I, when I look at you, I, lo- I look at, um, Alicia, I look at, uh, Cecile Richards, right. Any of you could run for governor. Any of you could run for the Senate. You, now you could run for president. Right. But, but I, is it, is it, is it, is it fair to say you also have more power where you are? Huh, I've never thought about it that way. I think I think about it like, um, almost like if there were an invisible casting director, you know, and you could cast people in their best roles. I don't know that I would be cast for a public official role, Mm. but definitely organizer. Like it's just in my bones. I'm an organizer through and through. And a lot of people who are elected officials now are organizers. I can, I can definitely see that, but I'm also kind of an introvert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so the idea of being so public all the time kind of scares me to be honest. Understandable. (laughs) Understandable. So I ask everyone each week, um, you know, what makes them angry? We, we, I asked them what their first car was, but I also asked them what makes them happy. So agent, what's, what makes you happy? Um, well, this incredible organizing renaissance that we're in right now is like a dream. Yeah. You know, the fact that I don't have to explain what organizing is or, you know, honestly, like, after as as people watch the news, sometimes it's like so depressing. I have so many people who tell me they have to stay off of social media because it's so depressing and all. And I never feel depressed because I feel like I have this privilege of being an organizer and knowing what to do. Mm. Like a lot of people feel lost in this moment, feel disempowered or hopeless. 
I just see people and I feel so hopeful and that it makes, it literally does make me happy. The other thing I will say is I just came from Cleveland yeah. um, where Leon Bridges just finished his My friend tour. was at the show. Were really? you at the show two nights ago? One Last night. Ago? night. Yeah, Last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. I was... I was getting texts from that show. Oh my gosh. It Leon was Bridges is so amazing. beautiful. And he closed with River. Oh. Just him on guitar and his singer, his backup singer. And it was so beautiful and so magical. And everyone was singing all the words and swaying I'm together. Getting goosebumps. I'm it getting was, goosebumps. It was literally, I mean, I wept tears of joy. Do you know what my, son, so you know my, my baby son's name is? Yes. It's River. Yes. And so we've been playing that song in our house oh ever my before God, he was beautiful. born. Oh my God, how beautiful. I and love yeah, that. It's very, very powerful. It is very, one very of my powerful. favorite songs of And I'm all so time. glad you brought that up because music is such a critical part of organizing. It really is. And such a critical part of movement building. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because, you know, I, I'm thinking of the AOC video I saw of her with a, with a choir dancing recently and like yeah. how she's integrated music in so many powerful ways. Yeah. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, the role music plays and what music you're into? Like, I love hearing you talk about Leon Bridges, but what else are you into? Right now? <laughs> I'm into all kinds of music. Um, but I, I think music is so key because it's a different way of experiencing the world around us, making meaning. It's joyful. It's, yeah. And there's a song for every emotion that helps you feel less alone. Yeah. You know, it's just like such a big part of the joy of being alive, right? You can channel so immediately through music. And sometimes when it feels like you don't have power and politics and everything's so dark and overwhelming, like you play a song and it's like the soundtrack of resilience. Mm. It's like how you mm. pick yourself up and keep it moving and yeah. gives you a little soundtrack to do that. You know, it's yeah. like such a gift. And it's a commonality in organizing too, because if you can just put something on and people start to bob their head, they're yeah. sharing that that essence of the music, exactly. right? And brings people together and opens them up in such a powerful way. That's why I wanted to make music such a critical part of the show too. So, And seeing Leon Bridges in Cleveland... <sighs> Like every kind of person was at that show yeah. that you can imagine. You yeah. know, it's like, and in, and everyone knew the words to River. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. just such a beautiful moment. He's a bit of a renaissance too. I mean, he's a throwback, but like a, a new spin on a throwback, right? Yeah. And a powerful, like almost Marvin Gaye type inspiration, right? Yeah. 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 And when I, when I, um, seeing his audience and seeing his fan base, it reminds me of the last time I went to see Prince and I didn't really appreciate how much Prince brought people together of so many different backgrounds and with such enthusiasm. Prince's. Yes. So Prince is in your top five. Top five. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And on my way over here, I watched a little video of Adele geeking out over how much she loves Beyonce oh, and like yeah. this kind of conversation that they've been having from award stages over the years of mutual admiration. And it just gave me so much life because the two of them are so brilliant, like yeah. born. I've seen both of them live and it's this magical experience to bear witness to 
women who were born to do what they're doing, exactly what they're doing, and it's so powerful. It's so good for humanity. Mm. You, know? well, you were born to do what you're doing. Well, I feel the same you about you, which is why I'm so glad you have this podcast, because we can finally hear from you on a regular basis, oh. on the media, on the airways. Some people are excited about that. Some people are less excited about it. But nevertheless, <laughs> it's been it's been a lot of fun. And part of the show also is I have gifts for you. Oh, wow. So, yes. Wait, so, there's party favors there, there there absolutely are gifts. So we have two gifts. The first is, um, and if you don't mind, you can open this. All right. And it's a yes. podcast, so this sound effect will be a little helpful. Um, but it's a, it's a bottle for folks who are listening. For folks who are listening, it's a bottle. They, they can't hear you. Yeah, there you go. There, see, this is for, the authenticity of a podcast. For I love folks this. who are listening, it's a bottle wrapped in beautiful silver paper with a pink ribbon and... <gasps> High West Whiskey, Campfire, so oh my gosh. It's one of my favorites, so each show I go to the liquor store and I look for an American whiskey that speaks to me, and this is just one of my favorites, and it's so good, I'm and it's like so excited. perfect for a Leon Bridges show next time totally. you go out, right? Yeah, I was just and thinking, I, I wished I had this last night. Now you got it from the, now I also, I've been doing peeps in previous episodes, I've been asking guests which peeps, color those, of peeps. Um, those so now, like bunny, yeah, sugar-coated bunnies. But I bunnies. couldn't find peeps today, so I have a really important question for you now. Of these three candies, Asian, which, which would you pick? We have oh. Starbursts, Skittles, or Mentos? Mentos. Mentos. Easily. Really? Easily. Why? I grew up eating them in Taiwan. Ah. Like, I spent every summer in Taiwan with my grandparents, and it was like a thing there. See, I was in the store, and I was like, okay, Starburst Skittles, but I need a third option. And I was like, what's the kind of universal version of Skittles and Starburst? And Mentos is that, right? Like, outside the U.S., Mentos is like Skittles and Starburst combined. Completely. Right? They're like big, big Skittles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, yeah. now that, you didn't even hesitate. No. You, you right oh. Oh, no. Absolutely. Yeah. Mentos okay. are a big part of my life. And I have to say, I've always wanted to try High West. I'm, it's really I'm good. A whiskey it comes drinker. from Utah, I'm, and I found it when I was there once, and I'm I just so got excited. hooked. I wouldn't have expected Utah to be a place of really good whiskey, considering how much of the state you know doesn't drink. <laughs> right. Don't but they have those? Maybe that's what creates the purity, right? Right. Restrictions yes, yes. are the best con context for innovation that's a great one too all right <laughs> see if i leave you here you can just drop knowledge and gems <laughs> little mentos and boltrons of of information and inspiration well i'll stay as long as you want uh, if i keep getting these kind of party favors well it's really i do good. i do want to let you go because um you're going to go meet with a head of state or do something amazing but i am just really grateful for your friendship and your leadership and your inspiration. You know, you and I are in this kind of super friends network of um, activists and, and leaders. And it's been really, you're, you're somebody, every time I see you doing something, I just stand up and cheer. And I think, Thank I hope that so people much. listening will now, if they weren't aware of you and your leadership and your patriotism and your work, they will be now and they will continue to root for you because I think you're just one of the best things in this country right now. And thank it's been a humbling. Means so much to me. It means a lot to have you on this show. So thank you. And we're going to go to a Leon Bridges show. Maybe we'll get him on the show. Do you oh, know, yeah. he do you would know be Leon amazing. Bridges? Can you, I don't, but can you I would love up? to. You know everybody. I like, don't. You're at the Oscars. And, you know, <laughs> so maybe we can get Leon Bridges. We've been inviting all the presidential candidates. Leon Bridges, you are always welcome on this show. Be honored to have you. Um, I'll come back if Leon Bridges comes All right. Comes I think a lot of people will come back I know, for that exactly, one. Exactly. Excellent. All right. Agent, thank you so much for joining us thank on Angry you, Americans. Paul. It's, it's been, been a true so honor. been so fun.
Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for another incredible interview from the Classic Car Club Manhattan with the incomparable, intrepid Agent Poo. Over the first five episodes of this show, we've gotten to some pretty important and some very infuriating issues. And those issues continue to evolve. We talked about Trump's continuing efforts to politicize our military. And despite warnings from the Marine Corps and key military leaders, he's still sending troops to the Mexican border rather than focusing on training or battling our real threats like terrorist attacks from ISIS or cyber attacks from Russia. Howard Schultz, still nowhere in the polls. Public bathrooms, still needed. Badly, many of you have felt that issue and definitely let me know. Uh, and the last episode, maybe our most popular yet, the one with Sarah Jessica Parker, focused on the scourge of electric scooters in America. Good news, since that episode posted, France has banned scooters. Viva la France. Now, if you took action on any of these issues that we've talked about in earlier episodes, thank you. It's making a difference. And on a serious note... Uh, the battle to renew the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund is ongoing, and two senators have been added as co-sponsors. Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, a Republican, and Senator Tom Carper of Delaware, a Democrat. And with the addition of those two, we now have a total of 34 senators signed on. But that's not exactly good news. That means that 66 senators still have not stood with our 9-11 heroes. If that 66 missing includes your senator or senators please call them now and raise some hell we'll have links on the angry americans facebook page and at angryamericans.us with capito and carper added that's one r and one d so this is truly a nonpartisan issue but it's also one that trump has still not spoken up or tweeted about uh, it's more than a new york new jersey issue 9-11 survivors are enrolled from all 50 states. So much more in this episode, on this issue in episode two of Angry Americans with uh, firefighter and 9-11 hero Rob Sarah. You can go back and check that out if you haven't heard it already. Uh, but let's keep up the heat, people. Politicians don't move unless they feel it. In every episode, I want to offer a productive way to channel your righteous anger. And today, I've got a new issue and a new action. This is Mother's Day, and I want to focus on an issue and a cause that's taking the lives of mothers daily. There's a maternal health crisis in America. You probably don't know it. I didn't. Until eight weeks ago, when my wife almost died due to complications after the birth of our son. She had a pretty normal labor and a C-section, and a couple hours later, we found out she was hemorrhaging, bleeding severely, had to go back into the OR, and we almost lost her. We were lucky. She's okay, and the baby's okay. But a lot of people aren't that lucky. The number of women who die giving birth in America each year has nearly doubled in the last two decades. The U.S. has a higher rate of maternal deaths than 45 other countries and is the only developed country with a consistently rising maternal mortality rate. Right now, the U.S. ranks 32nd out of the 35 wealthiest nations in the world when it comes to infant mortality. That's shameful. Now, if you're not angry about that, you're not paying attention. And for black women, it's especially risky. A black woman in America is three to four times more likely to die than a white woman during pregnancy, childbirth, and in the year after the baby's born. And that's according to the CDC. 
as more and more black women bravely share their near-death experiences while giving birth, including world champion tennis uh, player Serena Williams, we see this reality affecting black women regardless of education or wealth. And this is a global problem. 303,000 women die around the world as a result of complications of pregnancy and childbirth every year. That's one woman every two minutes. Every two minutes. But the good news, if there is good news, is that half of the maternal deaths in the U.S. can be prevented. Safe, respectful maternity care is a fundamental human right. And it's a fight being led by activists. Activists like Chrissy Turlington and Senator Tammy Duckworth and others to create a long-lasting health improvement for mothers everywhere. And recently, Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois, who's also an Iraq veteran and recently gave birth as a senator, she introduced the Mothers and Offspring Mortality and Morbidity Awareness Act, Mama's Act, in the House and the Senate with Senator Dick Durbin and Congresswoman Robin Kelly. They're all from Illinois. Now, the Mama's Act uses a five-prong approach to address and reduce maternal deaths. It establishes a national obstetric emergency protocol through a federal expert committee. It ensures dissemination of best shared practices and coordination among maternal mortality review communities. It standardizes data collection and reporting. It improves access to culturally competent care through the care continuum. And it expands Medicare co- Medicaid coverage to new moms' entire postpartum period, which is one year. So it's S916 in the Senate and HR1897 in the House. You can go to the Angry Americans website or congress.gov. And along with Senators Durbin and Duckworth, the Senate bill was also co-sponsored by Senators Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, Chris Van Hollen of Maryland, Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Sherrod Brown of Ohio, Bernie Sanders of Vermont, Tina Smith of Minnesota, and Angus King of Maine. I told you on this show, we'll name names. Do the right thing or the wrong thing, and I'll make you famous. Now, there's another way to get involved. If you go to everymothercounts.org, everymothercounts.org, you can get more information. They're a real leader. Go there, learn more, take action, and donate what you can. This weekend, call your mom. If you don't have your mom, have a mom or your mom is gone, do something for the moms you know and the moms you don't. Send flowers for sure, but take action. This is more than a show. We're a community. And this show and this community will get shit done. We won't just complain. We won't just talk. We won't just scream at our screens and fire off tweets. We'll take action. That's what Americans do. And that's what this show will do. And that's what you can do every day. So if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, use the hashtag AngryAmericans to let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. Okay. America is a team game. Family is a team game. Activism is a team game. And so is a show. I'm the dude on the mic. But there's an awesome team with me making it happen. So huge thanks to, first off, the Classic Car Club Manhattan. They hosted us again this week for our interview with Agent Pooh. Big thanks to Jeanette, Phelan, Phil, and all the crew there for having our back. Eric Schomborn, the genius who's cranking out all the amazing graphics you see on the Angry Americans website and on Twitter and on Instagram and on YouTube. 
new daddy Ben Stoffer, who shot our video. Check out our videos on YouTube. Uh, Big Daddy Brandon Pfeiffer, who always has my back. Bill Schultz, our outstanding producer again for this episode. Cadence 13 for the air support. Mary Wibble Verdon, who helped us out with PR on the last episode with Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, Righteous Media for powering the whole enterprise. Agent Poo, my guest this week for an amazing conversation. My family, my amazing wife and two boys, and especially my fearless and unstoppable wife, Lori, who inspires me every day. And my mom. You've been listening to every episode and sending me invaluable feedback, and I tried to cut down on the cursing, but thanks, Ma, for loving me, teaching me, and showing me what true courage, love, and leadership is all about. And most of all, thanks to you for tuning in. Please tell your friends to subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Spread the word. And follow Angry Americans on all your social media platforms and using the hashtag Angry Americans. I got some other news. Merch is here. Yes, it's fun, it's hot, and it's 100% American-made. Oscar Mike is a veteran-owned, super fantastic company. They are the exclusive merch partners for Angry Americans and Righteous Media, and the first two designs should be up at angryamericans.us by the time this show drops, and you can look for more new American-made, super comfortable, awesome designs in the next few weeks. They're perfect for... Mother's Day, Father's Day, your trip to the doctor to get your measles booster, whatever. Just don't wear them on an electric scooter because the shirts are cool and those damn scooters are not. Uh, Our next episode will be big. We've got someone that everyone in America wants to hear from, especially unplugged, without commercials, and with drinks. Until then, Ramadan Mubarak to all my Muslim friends. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. And remember... It's okay to be angry. And no, you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention. And together, we can do something about it. Something that will make all our moms proud. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Stay vigilant, America. America.